everyone, Alex and Ben here with the CMRT team. Before we get into our conversation on holding space today, we're just going to go around and give our names and talk about when you joined CMRT. So Laura, we're going to start with you. So my name is Laura and I've been with CMRT since the very beginning. So fall of 2019 is my start date. Excellent. Kelsey. Hi, everybody. I also it was around at the very beginning stages when we were having little meetings at Starbucks next to Symphony Center downtown. So I also started in fall 2019. Fond memories. Kevin. Hi, everybody. I'm Kevin. I joined CMRT after um, their first big meeting, um, the first big like mental health gathering, and that was in like June, May, June of 2019. 2020. <laughs> Close enough. Alex Nelson. Yeah, so I also joined around that same time, sometime this summer, 2020. Um, so recently, recent member. Amazing. Eric. My name is Eric Goldberg. I joined CMRT last week. My first meeting was yesterday, and this is my first podcast. So very happy to be here. Welcome, Eric. Now we'll go to Ben. Thank you, um, Eric. It's so great to have you join us here on the team. Um, so the first thing we want to ask um, is holding space. What is holding space? This is, a, this is a term that people have heard probably in different contexts. Um, it's a term that gets used a lot, I think, um, in sort of vague and general ways. Um, but it has, I think, a really uh, beautiful and important meaning. So let's just start with that. Alex Nelson, why don't we go to you on this? What is holding space? All right. So, yeah, holding space, I think it's something that everyone is familiar with as a concept. But for me, when I when I had something, when I, la- when I had a label for it, it suddenly clicked. So holding space for someone means being present for them emotionally that just provides them an opportunity to feel their feel all of their feelings without any judgment, without any um, expectations around it. You are literally just showing up for them and helping them feel what they need to feel. Um, it's not about fixing their problems. It's not about sharing your own feelings around the situation. It's just about bearing witness to their emotions, their experiences, their pain, whatever they're going through and acknowledging, hey, I'm here for you. Let me hold you emotionally. Um, let me create this space where you feel safe and, and um, I can process this just by being here with you. Yeah, and I can chime in. I like when it comes to holding space, I I often think about like, it doesn't have to be like a particular struggle. It it could also be a joy that you're you're going through and it's just, it can be a shoulder to cry on or a hand to hold or an ear to listen. Like when you're you're holding space for someone, it, it, it a solution doesn't necessarily have to be offered or like it, it's just a, a place where you, a space where you can accept what is being heard and make the other person feel listened to. Laura, if you want to jump in here, please go ahead. I would love to jump in. Um, yeah, I think I absolutely love what is being said and I also think that like it could be framed as creating an environment to grow empathy and I also 
think it's important to acknowledge that holding space is not just something that you do for another human being, it's also something we do for ourselves, and it's an activity that goes both ways. And we are validating the full humanity of the person who is sharing with us, and we are also validating the full humanity of ourselves when we're holding space. Great. So, Kevin... Can you tell us about a time someone held space for you? Sure. I mean, like, there are multiple situations. (laughs) Um, But if I, like, speak from a specifically, like, musical standpoint, um, I had a really amazing teacher in college. And I I often exemplify this whenever I talk about holding space. Like, I'm an oboist, uh, and many oboists can relate to the bane of reed making. Um, And what a process that is because it's it's not only like a scientific process it also becomes like an instinctive process too and so um my teacher in undergrad um her name's laura schaefer i hope she's listening (laughs) but she um was just an incredible teacher for read making and she taught the scientific side of it and then when it came down to like when it came down to just like making the reads and getting through it. And I like, I think every oboist and maybe even clarinetists and bassoonists know, like when it comes to remaking, it's, it's a whole beast in itself. And so, um, to just have the moment to struggle and like have the space to be like, I don't know what I'm doing. I, this is really hard. Like, and to have that accepted was such a, a, an incredible experience for me. And it was just, it was also incredible to see like my teacher, Laura, also struggling openly with that and like be open about, I have trouble with reads too. And so to, to commiserate in that way was, was super transformative for me. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the time that someone held space for me. I would love to speak to that as well. I unfortunately can't necessarily say that I've felt this as often as I would like to. Um, And actually, the first time that it really happened for me was only a week or so ago, where I genuinely felt like, oh, of course, you know, we all have therapists. A lot of us have therapists. That's a whole different kind of thing. But to find this in in a friend and people you're just with is it's a really beautiful thing. And it happened to me with real weight a week or so ago. And I was talking with a dear mentor and now friend. And I, you know, basically had a little meltdown about why 2020 is such a shit show, which can be a difficult thing to talk about because everyone's going through it. So it's like, I, why do I want to unload on somebody else when I know they're going through their whole slew of issues that resulted from 2020. And I just, I had this meltdown and this person was just saying to me, I am so glad you feel comfortable talking to me and sharing this with me right now. And that blew my mind. It is one very simple sentence, but it made it so that I could have this conversation and not have to go home and feel all the guilt about it afterwards. And it was just, it feels so amazing when somebody can hold space for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I want to I want to jump back to something that Laura had touched on in the last thing you said, Laura, um, about how holding space can be such an important thing to do for ourselves. Um, and for me, one of the amazing things about it is it's sort of uh, instead of judgment, we have uh, compassion and understanding as as much as we can. And I know that that is something that I would love to be able to have with myself, that kind of uh, lack of judgment in my relationship with myself. Um, so Alex Nelson, uh, how, how, can we, how can we strive to make that happen for ourselves? Um, well, I will say that I was not very good at this for a really long time, and it wasn't until I was faced with some really intense grief for the first time a few years ago that I was forced to um, hold space for myself. And a lot of that had to do with um, also not being in a position where I was around other people who knew how to support me or knew how to uh, hold space for me at a time when I really, really needed something. Um, so I, that's when I learned about the concept of holding space and I learned about creating that opportunity for myself. And um, the idea of honoring your emotions and being really present for whatever you're feeling is key to holding space for yourself. And it is the most uncomfortable thing to do <laughs> because you're with yourself and, you know, as musicians trying to stay on top of our staff, kind of keep it together, you know, trying to keep our emotions in check constantly because it's also directly related to what we do as artists, right? Like we've got to be really in control of our emotional side because that that feeds directly into our our professional lives and our creative and our creative lives. So all of that control, that tight, tight grip on our emotions, having to take a deep breath and let go of that control and just feel the feelings is incredibly terrifying the first time. But it becomes like once once you let the wave happen, just literally allowing yourself to feel all the feelings and knowing that like it's going to pass, it's going to be okay, I don't need to fix it, I just need to know that like this is where I am right now. No, I'm not wallowing, no, I'm not, um, you know, take all of the self-critical terms out of it, right? This is about, this is an experience I'm having in this moment and I'm going to let my have this experience because this is important and this, this feeling is important and I'm going to allow myself to do this leaning in because it's going to end and I swear you will be so much better for it. Um, so through learning to do that for myself, I was able to now understand how to hold that space for other people and also tell people when I need them to hold space for me because I'm, I understand my own needs better, right? Like I understand when I'm in need of that particular thing and when I can do it on my own and when I really need someone just to bear witness to my experience. Um, but it's a practice thing for sure. And it's a daily, weekly, monthly practice. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's, it's so important and so hard, uh, to be vulnerable in that kind of really deep personal way. Um, Eric, did you want to, did you want to jump in here? Absolutely. I'm thinking about how holding space for oneself really does have to do with setting boundaries for oneself and feeling sort of unapologetic in, in what those boundaries need to be. I'm thinking of two things in particular. This year, this fantastic year 2020 we are having, I feel like I've heard a lot of people say things like, 
oh, no, I'm not on Facebook these days, or, oh, I'm, I'm taking a break from the socials. I just can't do it. And that's a very simple, very healthy boundary. We are given so much time with ourselves and so much time to think in this COVID-19 way of living. And making space for oneself could be just turning it off, turning off all the devices and really just sitting with oneself. I think that's very important and one thing this year has taught us. And also holding space for oneself as a musician. It's so hard when one is preparing for an audition or for a concert or some really important artistic project to really feel that they're giving what they need to for for that. And I guess I'm, I'm just thinking recently, just in my own sort of growth as a conductor and as a musician, understanding that sometimes I will feel especially inspired and feel especially motivated to work or to just let myself think or feel or brainstorm. And sometimes that means just I'll return that call later. I'll reply to that text later. I am really deep in it. I'm working very hard. And that's that's another fair boundary where I think our craft means so much to each of us and holding space could mean just letting everything else go for just a little bit. Yeah, it's so important to, to set and recognize and embrace those boundaries, Eric. Um, Alex Hoffman, give it a go. Yeah, so I'm really bad at this. I'm really bad at holding space for myself, which is why I wanted to talk about it, because it's something I've been working on for so long, and I'm still working on. And right now, I'm in a very unique and even privileged position to say that I'm loving all of the things that I'm doing right now, um, career-wise, uh, which makes it really difficult, because then I just want to work all the time. Um, and so I do. Uh, and that's not really... I'm learning that that's not holding space for myself, even though it's fulfilling in a different way. So, you know, I'm learning. But let's move on to another question now. What does it feel like when someone doesn't hold space for you? And we're going to go to Kelsey on this one. This is a loaded question, right? <laughs> everyone in this chat, everyone listening, I'm sure has a bit of baggage <laughs> with this one. Yeah. When someone doesn't hold space for you, to me, the epitome of that is the fixing that Alex Nelson mentioned earlier. And it really, we know that it comes from a place of love and good intention. Uh, it's, it's wanting to help, right? But when when I am talking to somebody and I get this whole list of solutions of like how you can fix this, that, and the other, it makes me feel like, oh, well, I shouldn't be feeling this way at all. Then there's a way to fix it. This, the, these feelings are invalid. Why, why am I feeling this way? And it's not that the intention is to dismiss what you're going through, but that's oftentimes what happens on the receiving end. It's like, oh, well, then this doesn't make sense. Why am I feeling this way? And then for me personally, and I know for a lot of other people, it turns into this thing where you start experiencing the guilt for talking to somebody in the first place, for having emotions for something that is so seemingly solvable. And it just, that guilt for me manifests in a whole different slew of anxiety, staying up, not sleeping, you know, all sorts of things. And it's just, we have to remember that it comes from a place of love, but it's important that we're having this conversation because there are better ways that we can be present and be there for people. So I'm so thankful that we're talking about it today. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And it's so important. I mean, as you said, Kelsey, you know, it usually comes from, from a place of wanting to help uh, and just not always necessarily knowing how. Um, and so I think, Alex Nelson, you actually you hit on a great point earlier when you said that you've learned um, to just ask for what you need in that moment. And sometimes it may be advice and sometimes maybe not. Um, uh, Laura, go for it. Yeah, I would love to share some thoughts on this. I think, you know, we're all familiar with uh, the feeling of, of, of you're talking to somebody and they're, they're not holding that space for you. And it's certainly probably not intentional by any means, um, but it happens. And I think it's, a, you know, again, we keep coming back to how important it is to intentionally hold space so that we avoid, um, you know, what could potentially be harmful to people, you know? I feel like oftentimes being seen and being heard and the lack thereof, the lack of being seen and the lack of being heard can be a triggering experience for people. It can confirm imposter syndrome. It can confirm minimizing of their own feelings. And it can be, you know, it's really important to be intentional in doing it. And another thought that I had on holding space and not holding space um, is consent. Um, it's really important to remember that holding space is a consensual action. Um, a pretty, a pretty standard occurrence in my support system is that whoever's asking for help, whoever is needing some support, needing an ear to listen, asks the other person if they have the space to do that. Um, because holding space is, is much more than just listening. It's giving your undivided attention to another human being, withholding judgment, monitoring yourself, and making sure that you're putting aside any bias that you might have, and trying as best as you can to walk in their shoes and sit with them and what they're saying. It's, it's work and it's important work, and consent is essential because sometimes you could approach somebody and be like, hey, I need this from you right now, and they might... They might be, you know, at capacity and they might not be able to do that for you. So having that consent conversation is also, I think, really important. Yeah, Laura, I love that. And I know like even you and I have had conversations where it's like, do you have space to listen to this problem I have right now? And just that little interaction, I think, is so important um, and something that we've practiced in like our own friendship, which I think is so great. Um, Kevin, let's go to you. Sure. Um you know, as I think about that question of, like, what does it feel like when someone doesn't hold space for you, especially as, like, I think all of us as musicians know, like, being, and I, I think I talked about this in our, in, in, in an, the first interview that I was on, um, because we're in such a solution-based type, like, situation, or um, learning environment, um, it becomes hard for us to, like, actually express no i don't need the solutions i know the solutions i just want to tell you i'm frustrated or like why can't i just play this a in tune at this moment in time like what the hell like and it's it, as much as i like i i love teachers that will give the solutions all the time but sometimes i just want to i just i just want to sit down and say like fuck la scala de Seta's hard okay like i'm so oh, wow language moment <laughs> um but but like honestly like I, it's such an important thing to me to just be able to to not necessarily complain about it but like make my myself feel heard and have the emotions feel seen and heard because like if I have a teacher it's like I know it's hard I'm right here with you like it feels so much better to like to like 
deal in that because it then i know like oh my teachers felt this way or uh another friend of mine felt felt this way like loriani a, a fellow oboist like oh let's humbo to cooperan is hard and like we both can like commiserate in that yeah i'm i'm so glad that we're talking about the communication factor and the consent piece too because that's half of the battle right like trying to figure out what you need to say to advocate for yourself and what you need to do to advocate for yourself before you can even start to feel all your feelings, right? There's got to be that moment of understanding where you can say, like, this is what I need to do. You have to have that moment of recognition and understanding in yourself, which means, like, being clued in enough to know what's going on with yourself. And that is, like, that's, that is going to be your own work. Like, no one can tell you, I should say, the caveat being, like, besides a mental health professional or someone who's trained in this field no one can tell you like this is how you need to deal with your emotions like that is nobody's business but your own so you know through that work through understanding yourself through understanding how you process things what you need what you're going through doing your own work on your own that can set the stage for for giving you those tools to be able to ask for what you need and to be able to say like you know like Kevin said, I just, I just want to complain about my reads today, or just, I just want to complain, or I just want to, want someone to acknowledge that they see my frustration, don't want any solutions. Um, and I think once we start creating that dialogue, especially just amongst our own people, right? Like once we, in our own small communities, get used to advocating for ourselves when it comes to our own emotions and when it comes to our needs emotionally. Um, it will it will become so much less awkward. Like, I, I know for me, the first few times when I had to say, like, I don't want advice, I just need someone to listen, that felt really aggressive almost. But to be vulnerable and to do it with someone who I knew I could trust was key. And, you know, I've all, it, it's a practice thing, like I said. Like, it's only gotten easier for me now to be able to, to acknowledge what I need to do when and what I need to ask for when. Um, and with who? And I know there are certain people in my life who I can count on, who understand what it means to hold space for me. And there are some people who still have learning to do. And that's fine. You know, we're all on our own journeys. Yeah, we, we for sure are. Um, so I, I, I have a question related to all of that. Um, you know, we, we're, all, we're all always asking each other how we're doing. Um, and almost none of us actually say how we're doing. So I'm wondering uh, if there are better questions to ask, different questions to ask that um, that can help start these kinds of dialogues. Because when someone asks me how I'm doing, I say I'm doing fine, whether I'm doing fine or not. So Eric, uh, Eric, why don't you get in here and tell us what you think? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is my mom always says this to me, and I've just started saying it to my friends. They say, how's your head? How's your heart? I just, I think it's so simple and so short and really just gives someone the space. Let me talk about my head, and then I will talk about my heart. <laughs> These are both very needy, needy parts of me, and there's, there's some stuff to talk about. So I like saying that to other people. And also, yeah, part of the how are you doing, I mean, I do think about it in – some of my really lowest 
moments, I didn't really want people to ask me how I was doing because I didn't want to answer. I didn't really want to talk about it. So if someone is going through a really low period, grief or depression, that sort of period, I think, I think one, at least myself, I respond best to, hey, I love you. Hey, is there anything I can do? Can I buy you dinner, buy you groceries? I mean, I don't need anyone to do that for me. But I think, I think a gesture, a simple gesture, and I think telling someone you love them and some, that you care for them goes much better than asking someone how they're doing, which I do think has become quite commonplace. But yeah, I think those are very, very important gestures. I love that question. How's your head? How's your heart? That's beautiful. I think it's also about how we respond to the question um, and answering honestly to how are you doing and not being afraid to talk about what's, well, you know, what's on our minds. Uh, I think that's a really important piece of this um, because a lot of us will just say fine or good and then it stops. The conversation stops there. Um, so I think it's worth, worth thinking about. Um, Alex Nelson, jump in. Oh yeah, got lots to think, lots of things to say on this. Um, I, I also just want to say that there is a fantastic author, Nora McInerney, who started um, her own podcast called Terrible Things for Asking, as a response to, "How are you?" And the answer being, "I'm terrible." Thanks for asking. Like, what if <laughs> all of a sudden people started answering that question really honestly? So her, her podcast is all about people sharing their stories of really like horrific situations and epic losses in their life and, and deep, deep struggles and situations where these people really couldn't say anything, but like, I'm doing really, really horrifically, like I'm just the worst, but thanks for asking. I appreciate it. Like, you know, tongue in cheek. Um, and that was so it, uh, hilarious, but also, God, that was so refreshing for me to have somebody else acknowledge like... Yeah, it's worth being honest sometimes, because sometimes when things are so incredibly painful, also, we don't even have it in our souls to lie. <laughs> um, saying I'm good is just too far from the truth. Um, so, you know, asking this, this question being like, um, how can people... How can, uh, how can people ask these questions better? How can you ask, how are you, in a way without asking that? I think, think a big piece of that is how can we be more vulnerable, right? Like, how can we be more authentic? And so much of that has to do with shifting our personal culture and getting used to the idea that sometimes people are going to answer that question really honestly. And, of course, I'm not talking about, like, walking down the street, stranger, how you doing? The world's on fire, you know, whatever. But, like, people who you love and trust and who you can, who you can talk to openly about these things. Um, I will also share, like, during my own grief journey, um, because grief on that continuum of pa very painful experiences, there's, there's no cure for grief. Um, grief is grief, and it hurts, and it's raw, and it is totally individual um, based on a number of factors. So there really is no fix, like magic cure for someone's grief. So when we're talking about how, you know, how can you help somebody in a situation like that, like grief, for instance, there's, you can't, <laughs> you can't fix it. You can't fix it, I should say. There's no fix. So the idea, like Eric mentioned, with 
just being present and saying, hey, I love you. Like, rather than tending to the like, hey, how are you? Let's talk about you. Because like, the truth is, they're probably doing really horribly. They don't want, maybe they don't want to talk about themselves. Maybe the hardest thing for them to do today was just put their feet on the freaking floor. So as someone who loves this person, instead of putting them in the position to have to lie to you and say, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Right? Like you, if you know that they're probably not good, take some pressure off of them and do something kind for them. Like, don't get it. Like, don't even ask. Don't even bother them with the question of how are you? Or like, don't, don't even ask them about like, are you hungry? Like, nope, just make them food, right? Just show up with groceries. Just put something in the mail for them. Just, you know, buy them a new pair of socks, whatever. Something to show that you love that person. Something that can help them that you know that they will appreciate and that there is no expectation around their emotional output, right? Like you don't need anything back from them. And it's another way to hold space for them or to, to create an opportunity for them to be exactly where they are in their messy, emotional, chaotic, whatever place and still show up for them and still love them in their vulnerable place. Yeah, I love that. I mean... Yeah, I think about ways that my friends do that for me. Um, Laura, I'm going to talk about you again. Um, she can tell now that we've been living together for a bit when I'm feeling particularly overwhelmed and she'll like take my dog out or like make me food. And it's like, we don't even have, I, I mean, even if I don't ask, um, which is just so huge. And uh, I'd like to think we do that for each other. And I think that's, that's really important. Um, so speaking of Laura... Laura, how does holding space contribute to breaking down stigma? It's a big one. Woof. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of what, it, what we're talking about, I feel like so much of it just comes down to validation. Um, and I think holding space is key in removing stigma um, because it creates the environment for people to, to safely share um, their experiences and their feelings um, for, you know, what could be the first time and to feel validated and believed and valued in that moment, in the present, in that exact moment. And I think this is key in removing shame and therefore key in reducing and eventually eliminating stigma about brain health, which is a term that we love here. And it's, when you remove the shame by talking about it, that's step one of, of confronting stigma to dismantle it. And I think that if we don't talk about our experiences and if we don't create the space for others to feel safe to share, we're perpetuating that shame. Um, I think openly sharing with one another and supporting one another while we're doing so um, is how we combat like that internalized shame for struggling with mental illness or managing mental health. Um, and I think that's why holding space is the first step to one of the most essential skills in supporting and empathizing with, with other humans. Yeah, I love that. Um, and, you know, I think that's exactly what, why we all got together to start CMRT in the first place was to hold space for people in our community and 
validate those experiences and share our experiences with them in order to make everybody feel heard and know that they're not alone. Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times that I, you know, similar to what you said, Kevin, I like walked out of a practice room and I'm like, oh my God, I cannot play this. And the people who are sitting there are like, oh, did you try this? This really worked well for me. Like I was able to do it after I was, after I did this. And I'm like, oh, just, just be like, wow, that sucks. That's like really all I want to hear in that moment. Um, so, uh, Last question. I'm so curious. What is your, uh, we can just sort of go around the room here. Um, oh, Laura, do you want to jump in here? Sorry, I missed you there. Go for it. It's all good. I was, you know, it, as we're sharing, you know, anecdotes from, from the, the musical <laughs> life and stuff, I was just thinking about um, what we were kind of talking about a minute ago and how it's kind of all tying in together. How, like, asking, how are you, um, can be such a loaded question, like, before a concert or, like, during a rehearsal. Um, in one of the, a recent concert that I played, I had this big English horn situation that I had to deal with, and I was, in a word, terrified. And I just did not want anybody to ask me how I was doing because I was like, I don't, I don't even want to get into it. I don't even want to get into it. But the people, my support system, the people who were close to me in that moment, you know, would just kind of come over, you know, if they would pass me, they would give me like a squeeze on the shoulder or, you know, just like a smile in passing. So um, I just think that in, in the musical context, like this is such an important thing to be uh, conscientious about. Uh, Kevin, any final thoughts from you? Sure. Yeah. I just want to go back to like, I mean, first and foremost, I'm saying it now, coffee table, like, so we have coffee table, like discussions every two weeks, just so everyone in the podcast knows, keep an eye on our Facebook, like our Facebook page, subscribe to our podcast, all those plugs. Anyways, um, like coffee table thing to talk about solos, recitals, like the experience of that and like how we all deal with that, that experience. I think that's something that we can all talk about, but like, even in just like at CMRT we are so focused on holding space and showing other people that we're not alone and I'm just seeing like especially in these coffee table coffee table experiences like to validate and commiserate with one another to really think about like like oh yeah I've thought about doing something non-musical as a job for a little bit to help support myself and seeing how all of us are like oh my god yeah I was thinking about it too oh my god I did that like having that experience is so incredible i mean i just i'm i'm recalling that because that was uh, a meeting that i i ended up leading with alex hoffman and to to have everyone there talk about that experience whether it's positive or negative or whatever it may be to just validate that experience was so incredible like I will never forget that, like the the fire burning in my heart in that moment, because it really felt like everyone was there in that community. Um, and I think that's 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 something that we really want to work hard to do at CMRT. Absolutely, um, Alex Nelson. I know you want to get some last thoughts in here. Well, I I am also just remembering so fondly on that coffee table, Kevin. Because I did not know most people in that space. And there was such joy in that moment. 
And I think we all felt it individually, like our own levels of validation and whatever, like whether or not we chose to share, um, we could relate for sure because we were talking with other people in the same field who were having a lot of similar feelings. And just by putting them out there and hearing, hearing them validated and hear that like, it's okay that we're having these thoughts and actually it, apparently we're really normal and we're kind of all having the same thing. It, it created this, you know, huge wave of empathy and relief, this deep, deep relief. And as, as musicians who have spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours isolated in practice rooms and staring at all your flaws and then showing up at rehearsal and being like, all right, I'm on my A game. Like I'm here, I'm doing it. I'm knocking it out of the park. Like there's, there's such a, jump between like um, that experience, that independent experience that you're having alone in the practice room, and then the idea of being in an ensemble together and, and performing with others and having this grand community. So there's, there's so much opportunity to build connection and build relationships there through that community and through these people who are having similar experiences. And yet, just by the nature of what we do, we we're so isolated so there's such a need for it because it's missing and god think of how amazing it could be if we could have conversations like that all i have goosebumps like that all the time right like if that coffee table thing like if that could have happened like in the lounge at like at the at undergrad in in our undergrad program right like if those kinds of things could happen or you know when you're packing up from a rehearsal and you could just casually feel comfortable enough to share and have that valid, like, ooh, it's just, what a beautiful world that would be. Um, so I'm, I'm so psyched that we're gonna keep doing these coffee tables and um, it, it takes a certain amount of vulnerability, but I'm so, gonna get emotional here, I'm so um, honored and privileged to be working with this team here who sees how important that is and who wants to make a change. And I think we've seen already that there's an, that other people see that too. Like it's not just us, right? Who sees that there's some great, brilliant potential here, and there's a need. Um, so thanks for whoever's listening. Thanks for listening. Glad you're here, and thanks, team. Thanks for holding space for us. Yeah, I, I can say surely for myself, and I know I'm speaking for everyone here that we all feel that same gratitude to be working with people who care about this, um, and are and and care enough and are willing enough to come together to do something. So uh, to get back to my question that I mentioned briefly a few minutes ago, that was just a teaser. The question is, we'll go around uh, very quickly. What is the phone screen, lock screen background on your phone at this very moment? You may look, but you have to say it quickly. Okay, Kevin, go. Um, my friend made me a, 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 like, digital art that says musician, or human, and then above the human part it says musician and artist. Okay, Laura. Um, I'm a little, uh, embarrassed, not embarrassed, scared to share it, but, um, it says I am healing more and more every day. Amazing. Okay, Eric. Mine is a piece by Takashi Murakami that I saw at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston three years ago. So I think for three years that it's been my lock screen. Amazing. Okay, Kelsey. My lock screen is a picture in Zion National Park 
um, as you're hiking up Angel's Landing, and it's been there for a few years, and it's probably not going anywhere. Uh, Zion is incredible. Uh, Alex Nelson. Well, y'all, I am officially the lamest, because mine is just a classic apple background. It's a yellow background with some rainbow colors thrown in there. Keeping it classy. (laughs) You know, school teacher, kids looking at my phone. Don't want them up in my business. Rainbows, they can see the colors. That's what they get. (laughs) Amazing. Okay, and Alex Hoffman. Mine is my puppy, Barry. No surprise. (laughs) What about you, Ben? Mine is, uh, it's old, so it's a little cartoon. And one guy says, uh, uh, I think flowers are going to grow in 2018. Because this was 2017. And the other guy goes, how come? And the first guy goes, because I'm planting flowers. That's mine. Oh, Ben. Wow. Could you share that? Yeah, I can can send it to everyone. (laughs) Okay, wow. I was not expecting that reaction. All right. (laughs) <laughs> we're all very we're all very raw right now well thank you all so so much for sharing your thoughts i'm beyond grateful for this team and the work that we're doing and i'm just so excited for cmrt's future and thank you to everybody listening at home you can find us on facebook or at our website at classicalmusiciansroundtable.com thanks everyone <laughs>